Let me tell you something. As defense lawyers, we turn that sideshow into the main event. Like, that's just part of our job. We turn that molehill into a mountain, right? Any little small little thing that has a potential effect in the case, we gonna make some noise. And so what you're seeing here is the art of creating a hot mess. And, and I'm not going to give the defense lawyers too much credit because finally Willis pretty much gave it to him on a silver platter. Let's keep it 100. Call your first witness. I got Kenneth Willis. Hey, Will. He bought his business. He going to take it the distance. Listen, he giving gaming. Game. Believe in high level represent. Call your first witness. Griff has been paid for this endorsement. What's good? What's good? What's good, beautiful people? It's your boy, K. Will. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Call Your First Witness. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy you tuned in. Listen, man, I, I hope I got some, some great content for you today. And listen, I got two words for you. Fonnie Willis. <laughs> <laughs> Fonny Willis, man. And look, I don't know if she if she my cousin. I don't know if she my people. I'm not gonna say that. You know, I, I actually found out more about Fonny Willis from my brother. He was telling me about man, what's up with our cuz? What's up with our cuz? I'm like, man, what you talking about? He said, man, Fonny Willis, the, the prosecutor on the Trump case out of Atlanta. And that's when I first started, like, kind of paying attention to it. But to be honest with you, man, I really wasn't spending too much, too, too much attention to it. Man, I'm going to tell you how this case piqued my interest. About two weeks ago, my wife comes home. She's like, you need to watch this. And so she puts on the news and they're covering the Fonnie Willis Trump trial. Right, I'm calling it the Fonny. I'm, I'm about to call it the Fonny Willis trial, but it's actually the the trial against Trump and about 14 other co-defendants. It started with Trump and 18 co-defendants. Now, about four of them, I think, four took plea deals, and now it's Trump and 14 other um, co-defendants. I don't know all the names. I know Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor of New York City, is a defendant. But, um, you know, so I'm like, man, what's going on? What's, what's, what's this about? And I recognize Fonny Willis. Because remember, I just had to talk. My brother said, what's going on with our cause? So I recognized, I was like, oh, that's Fonny Willis. Fonny Willis walks through the courtroom. I'm looking at lawyers going back and forth with the judge. You got the prosecutor. That's Fonny Willis's office. You got... Trump's lawyer and then a co-defendant's lawyer. And of course, they're in court. They're going back and forth. But what's interesting about the situation is this is the evidentiary hearing to disqualify Fonnie Willis, right? This is what the defense lawyers are pursuing, right? And just to back up a little bit, if you don't know, this is involving the, the election interference case, uh, charges filed against Trump and a whole bunch of other co-defendants. Uh, back several years ago, it was alleged that Trump tried to steal votes. It's alleged that he was on a 
phone with elected officials trying to steal about 11,000 votes. All right. And I, I heard about that. I knew about that. I saw that in the news. This the trial. But it's crazy because the whole time I'm covering the, the Young Thug trial, which is on and popping. Right. And it just so happened in Atlanta, man, it's it's on and popping in the same city. Two big trials. But I told you I'm going to cover what's popping. And so you got the defense lawyers who are trying to disqualify Fonnie Willis based on an alleged relationship involving Fonnie Willis and special prosecutor Nathan Wade. Right. And so. I think at this point, it's no secret that Nathan Wade and Fonnie Willis were in a relationship together, right? But at this particular hearing, where Fonnie walks through the door in dramatic fashion, I got to set the stage for you because you got the defense lawyer saying, look, we need Fonnie Willis. We need to cross-examine Fonnie Willis. That's the nature of our claim. We can't prove what we're trying to establish without finding Willis taking a stand and us having an opportunity to cross-examine her, right? These are the defense lawyers. This is what they're arguing to the judge. On the other hand, you got the prosecutors who are from finding Willis's office arguing to the judge, look, finding Willis is shielded from having to testify. She is the DA in this case, right? She's prosecuting Trump and all the other co-defendants, she should not have to take the stand. That's the argument they make. And at this particular point, the judge is to rule on whether or not he agrees with the prosecutor, he agrees with the defense, but he hasn't made a decision yet. He's just listening to arguments, and here comes Fannie Willis. She comes with a piece of paper in her hand, drops it on the prosecutor's desk, and got this look on her face like, y'all looking for me? Here I go. Here I go. Y'all looking for me? Here I go. And all I could think about is the mystical song from back of the day. Y'all looking for me? Here I go. Here I go. Looking for me? I'm the man right here. I'm the man right here. Do do. Do 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 do. Like that's all. That's what's going through my mind because she got the look on her face. I'm the woman right here. I'm the woman right here. Y'all looking for me? And it's crazy because I'm like, hold up. Did the, did the prosecutors know she would come in the courtroom and they up in here arguing that she don't have to testify? I, we, I'm telling you, I can't make this up. Hollywood couldn't make this up. It was so dramatic. I'm sure some of you saw this video. And it's crazy because my wife like, man, you look at the prosecutor's face. We sitting there looking at the prosecutor, the prosecutor that was arguing on behalf of Fonnie Willis, looking at Fonnie like, what is she doing? And so my first thought, I'm looking at Miss Willis and I'm like, ooh, she got that look. She got that look. She got that look like she's disturbed. She's upset. She got this game time look on her face, a little nervous look, but not the not the nervous like it's like the game time nervous. The I'm about to go to battle type nervous, you know, it's about to go down. And so she got that look. I could, I'm looking at her and my first thought was, hold up. She came in here. 
her lawyers arguing that she don't need to testify. Clearly, she's upset with whatever's going on or what's what's being alleged. I don't know if it's right for her to take the stand with that potential emotion she may have. I don't know. I, that was just my first thought. You know, I could think of a situation where there were three defendants. My client was the mother of one of the co-defendants. And the plan was, look, you ain't going to take the stand, mom. Like, I don't need you to take the stand unless you really, really have to. The state has to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt, right? She was on trial. Her daughter was on trial and her son. They were alleged to have uh, committed second degree battery on someone, right? And so my client was sitting and as the, the trial progressed and as, as my client would listen to the testimony from the officers and the arguments from the prosecutor, Man, you could see steam coming out of her ears. She was so, so infuriated with what the state was arguing. And so to me, I was like, she was like, Willis, I need to take the stand. I, I can't have them talking to my daughter, like talking about my daughter like that. I can't have them talking about my son like that. No, 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 no. I, you don't understand. I need to set the, set the record straight. I need to set the record straight. I said, no, no, we not going to do this. You're going to have to trust me in this situation. You cannot, first of all, we already talked about this. We're going, this is going to be a wait and see process. We're going to err on the side of not taking the stand unless we really, really have to. But under your state of mind right now, this is even more an indication that you do not need to take the stand. And so that was the first thing I could think of because of you saw it in, in Fonnie Willis's eyes and you just saw the look on her face. And I was like, man, this is so much happening. I don't know. But at the same time, I don't know Fonnie Willis like that. I do also know people thrive when they get upset. I'm one of those people, right? So I was like, okay. But what really made me cringe was like, are they on the same page? Because this don't look right. Fonnie Willis came and dropped the paper. That had to have been a subpoena. That little paper folded up had to been a subpoena that she dropped it on the prosecutor's desk. Like, here I go. Y'all talking about me? Y'all looking for me? I'm here. Let's go. I'll take the stand. So you got to give her credit for saying, look, I ain't hiding from none of this. Let's set, set the record straight. But at the same time, I was a little worried that I didn't want her emotions to get the worst of her. Right? Again, I don't know her. And then I was worried that they weren't on the same page. Now, I brought up all I could think of was she, you know, the situation when I, I didn't want my client to take the stand because they were a bit emotional, right? They were frustrated. We understand Fonnie Willis is not on trial. Fonnie Willis made it very, very clear when she took the stand. She said it. I'm not on trial. You got it confused. She told that to the prosecutors. Y'all got it confused. I'm not on trial. Your clients are on trial to, for trying to steal an election, right? She made that clear out the gate. However, as the DA and all this mess that's coming out as a result of this case and as a result of her relationship with Nathan Wade, you kind of making client type assessments. Right. Because there are different ramifications 
of this case and of that activity involving you and Nathan, wait, let's just keep it real. Like, hold up. I don't know precisely what the rules are as it relates to having a relationship with someone in that office. I heard defense lawyers talking about you have to file a, a financial disclosure form. If you're giving benefits to somebody who are working in that office, that needs to be disclosed. So there's a lot of ramifications as it relates to her relationship with Nathan Wade. That's why the timeline is so important. But what we have to understand is you, she may be subject to ethical violations, right? She may be subject to rules of ethics and rules of professionalism with the bar of Georgia. She may be subject to ethical rules with the state of Georgia, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean it automatically disqualifies her as the DA for this case. There may very well still not be grounds for her disqualification. But the problem with that is she has to make decisions where it's like, okay, how does this affect this particular case? But also, how does this affect my status as the DA as it relates to the rules of ethics and professionalism? Right. So you got a lot of things going on. So, no, she is not on trial. But when she becomes a witness and she becomes the subject of the matter at hand and, and she can potentially take the stand and now she's testifying under oath, she has to make client like decisions. So we really do have a trial within a trial, right? And so I cringe because I didn't see the DA's office, the lawyers who were there presenting the case on behalf of the state of Georgia, on behalf of Fannie Willis's office. I didn't see them on the same page with Fannie Willis, clearly, because Fannie Willis came in ready to testify. So that was like, man, that's troubling for them not to be on the same page. And that wasn't the only moment. There were times when Fani was on the stand, objections would be made by the prosecutors. Fani would say, that's okay. I'm going to answer, answer it anyway. That's a lawyer's worst nightmare when your client is not doing what you asked him to do. And I know Fani is not their client. Fani is essentially their boss, but everybody got to be on one accord. And so that's, that was my initial concern out the gate. Now, let me tell you something. Remember I said, ooh, I, I, I hope that the anger and the frustration I see in Fannie Willis's face, I hope that don't get the worst of her. I hope she can be composed, she can get to the point, and she can't let, let that get the worst of her. I hope, right? Because you can see it. You can see it. You can see the intensity of the moment. But like I say, some people thrive, right? And in my opinion, she did very well in her testimony. I don't care what nobody say. You, you People online saying a whole lot of stuff. People on TV saying, oh, embarrassment. Oh, man, she was way out of line. You know, oh, angry black woman, angry. Oh, you know, sassy this. She got an attitude problem. Man, look. Let that woman address her matter the way she want to address her matter. I'm looking at it through a lens of a lawyer. 
And I, I, the way I saw it was she know who our audience is. Her audience is Judge Scott McAfee, right? He's the one making the decision in this case. But she also knows her audience is the general public. She ain't stupid. She know all eyes on her when she take that stand and she got to clear the air because she been listening to all this speculation, conjecture, gossip, all this stuff, all these months about her relationship with Wade and how it affects this trial against Trump. And she ready to clear the air. And so she got something to say. And so you got to think that she had to know that potentially she was going to be called to the stand. And regardless of what her lawyers may be arguing to the judge, it may not really be compelling to shield her from testifying. Right? Because think about it. It makes sense. The defense lawyers are alleging she was involved in an inappropriate relationship with the special uh, prosecutor. They ingratiated themselves with, with a financial gain as a result of pursuing Trump and his co-defendants. Right? It's, she's the subject matter at hand. Of course, she would have to testify. So she probably anticipated that. She may have been like, I know y'all got to make y'all argument and preserve the record, but nine times out of 10, I'm going to have to testify anyway. So would I look like trying to hide behind some shield that I'm the DA and I should be, be waived a privilege from not having to testify? Man, let me just go ahead and tell my story. I've been quiet for too long. We're in the middle of this litigation. I know it's not smart for me to be making comments and talking to the news and doing interviews and stuff like that because that can affect my case. I'm smart enough to know that. But when it's my time, let me present my case. This is my time. I'm the woman right here. Here I go. Y'all looking for me? I'm right here. So and that's exactly how she showed up in court. Right. And so. I'm looking at someone who took the stand and I'm like, okay, this is going to be interesting because she is the DA of Fulton County. She is a prosecutor. She has experience. She, she served as a judge. She, she served as a practitioner, right? I'm sure she tried cases. So it's like, man, it's fascinating to me to see a lawyer being cross-examined. Right. Because it's normally we the one doing the cross examining. And so what I saw from Fannie Willis was not a lay witness. Normally you got lay witnesses that, that take the stand. I saw a lawyer who was savvy enough to see that you trying to build traps, you trying to create traps. And she looking at these lawyers, multiple lawyers, not just one. You at least had about four lawyers who came after her, right? And she telling them, look, you ain't asked that question right. You trying to imply this. You getting this twisted. You need to rephrase that because she understands the traps and the snares that the defense lawyers are trying to create. And so I see the way she's answering the question and it hit me out the gate. Miss Miss Merchant, the defense lawyer, her first question. This is when it hit me. Her first question, she asked Miss Willis. Did you listen to this testimony 
or were you watching the testimony of Nathan Wade prior to you taking the stand today? Now, you got to understand, Nathan Wade was just on the stand, special prosecutor. This case is being covered nationally in the news. You can see it live. We have this thing called sequestration of witnesses. As defense lawyers, as prosecutors, we want to make sure the witnesses are sequestered, meaning we want to make sure they're not in the courtroom while any witness is testifying. We don't want them to listen to see what these witnesses are saying so they can adjust their testimony. They can hear what the lawyer, the questions the lawyers are asking so they can be ready for these questions. So we need to sequester them, meaning they need to get out the courtroom. They cannot talk to other witnesses who already testified, right? We don't want any compromise in their testimony, right? And so the first question Ms. Merchant asks, did you listen to the testimony of Nathan Wade, who just testified right before her? Her response was, I was pacing back and forth in my office. That didn't answer the question. Miss Merchant tried to pin her down again. Ma'am, did you listen to the testimony of Nathan Wade? Did you watch it? I understand where you were in your office. Did you watch it? She was like, I anticipated being called as a witness. Finally, Willis responded that I was pacing back and forth in my office. She did not answer the question. Miss Merchant moved on to the next question. She did not pin her down. That told me right then and there. Ooh. See, you're not just dealing with a lay witness. So you, 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 you see, I'm going to jump into the recent developments that happened not too long ago, last Friday. And so last Friday, there's testimony about forensic analysis of Nathan Wade's phone. Now, what's interesting about this is this was an exhibit filed by Trump and the co-defendants lawyers as an exhibit. And they have assertions made by a person who is not quite qualified classifying themselves as an expert in forensics as it relates to phone dumps and, and cell tower analysis, right? But essentially what they're saying, they're an expert. And they said that they got Nathan Wade's records from AT&T. He did analysis of the records. And so it's a full-blown analysis. And essentially it's, it's, it's pretty much an expert opinion, whether he can say what he wants. He's not an expert. He is an expert. It's essentially an expert opinion. But what's interesting about this is Trump's lawyers, they presented this after the close of evidence. Essentially, what Trump's lawyers and the co-defendants' lawyers are saying, based on the information provided from AT&T, as it relates to Nathan Wade's phone records, there's some inconsistencies as to phone calls and, and an indication that Nathan Wade was at Fonnie Willis's condo 
more times than he admitted to on the witness stand, right? That's what they're saying based on the phone records. So the phone records are huge, right? But you got to understand, whenever you present phone records, that requires a very thorough forensic analysis. That requires people who are trained and experienced in analyzing those type of records. I, I have looked at so many phone dumps and so much information, but whenever you have that information, you want to at least digest it, see what's being said first. If it's detrimental to your client, then you have to look at, okay, whether or not we need to get our own phone expert to take a look at this and see if it is what it purports to be. Because you can have another expert saying, oh yeah, I see this, but I also see something else. And nah, the way they interpreted that wasn't quite right. They looked at it from a different standpoint. I see it like this, right? So you can get another expert based on their knowledge and experience. They can look at the same report in a different way. So essentially, the phone records are trying to establish that Nathan Wade and Fonnie Willis were lying on the stand. Now, that's a giant leap to go from phone records to say that somebody was lying on the stand. Let me break this down for you. What you'll never hear from an expert in phone dumps, phone analysis, extraction of phone records, what you'll never hear from an expert is that a person's phone can place them at a crime scene, for example, right? You, you, you can't afford, it won't place them at the particular crime scene. It can place them in the vicinity of a cell tower that may be in a certain radius of the crime scene. And that radius can range from 20 miles, 30 miles, 40 miles. It just depends where this cell tower is, right? So a phone can't put nobody on a scene. We don't even have to talk about a crime scene. We can talk about the home where Fannie Willis live, the condo, right? Nathan Wade's phone records cannot place him in Fannie Willis's condo, right? But before you establish that, the state needs an opportunity to examine the exhibits, the AT&T records, to determine it is what it purports to be. Meaning, whatever y'all saying this is, you need to give us an opportunity to look at it, assess it, maybe get our own expert to call it heads or tails. You're going to hear a lot about the Dober case. The Dober case is a seminal case as it relates to expert witnesses and what they can and can't do and how they have to be compliant and what makes them an expert and how you can strike them as an expert because they don't meet certain qualifications, right? You're going to hear a lot about that. And essentially in response, I think the lawyers filed this exhibit maybe Thursday, maybe Friday of last week. Fonnie Willis's office responded about, I think, Friday of last week. And they say, look, this is in complete violation of Dober.
This is totally non-compliant. We had, we received no notice. This is an expert witness. They slide this information in as an exhibit and we didn't, we weren't even privy to it. They saying this runs afoul of the judge's case management order, basically meaning, look, we got scheduling deadlines and they should have been turned over this information. That's the one thing that I find confusing is why, why did this, why did the defense lawyers wait until after the close of evidence to present this, this information? I mean, they understand what the rules are. I mean, I can tell, you can tell based on the lawyers questioning of Nathan Wade and finding Willis that they knew what the phone record said because they were trying to put him in a box. They were trying to pin him down. You could tell. And I think Nathan Wade, his responses were more committal. It, it, was, it was real definitive. It, he came with def, a definitive no, a definitive yes. Fonnie Willis, not so much. Right? Fonnie Willis was breaking down romantic relationship, personal relationship. I'm telling you, in my opinion, she did a good job. Right? Because she's like, yeah, because the timeline is important, y'all. The timeline establishes when Nathan Wade was hired by Fulton County as a special prosecutor. And testimony has established that Nathan Wade was hired on November 1st, 2021. Right? And so the question before the court is, when was the romantic relationship? And so Fonnie Willis is... Look, she is distinguishing between what's a personal relationship, what's a romantic relationship. We can have sex, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's a romantic relationship. So she's in Hawk responses. She's saying, yeah, we had sex, but we didn't have a romantic relationship. And yeah, we may have had sex before November 1st, 2021, but we weren't in a romantic relationship. She finally Willis says the romantic relationship started maybe around March of 2022. That's after Nathan Wade was hired. Right. But she also said in our testimony, yeah, you know, he was at the house at my condo. We did work together. You know, other people were there as well. So she didn't outright say no, nothing happened. She never outright said no, we never had sex. But what she did say is the relation, the romantic relationship started in about February, March of 2022. So she's, she's not as definitive. And if they say, oh, so the question was, was, was he at your house? So I, he may have been. I don't know how many times. And a lot of times, there were several times when she said, I can't give you a count. So I'm going to be more broad in my response than, than giving you a specific number. Basically, what she's doing is you're not fitting to sit up here and put me in a box. You may know something that I don't know. You may have got have something. You're not going to get me for perjury. See, that's the, the level of lawyer versus lawyer. And so a lot of people say, oh, she committed perjury. Oh, I don't know. I, I can't say that. An argument may can be made, but 
I think she was very careful in her responses, way more careful than Nathan Wade. But again, the phone records can't prove precisely what the defense wanted to prove. Now, it can imply that what is Nathan Wade doing in that area? If the cell tower says it's in, I don't know, a 20, 30 mile radius from Fonny's condo, then what else is he doing out there? Does he got business out there? What is he doing at, at a certain time of the night after hours? What is he doing late evenings, late nights? Why is the phone still on the next morning? So you can imply what's going on, but you still got to prove it. You still got to establish it. You still have to be compliant with Dober. And that's what Fonnie Willis is saying. Listen, they ain't even comply with Dober. So we don't even know if this guy's an expert. So I don't, I don't know if, if maybe the defense lawyers ran out of time. I don't know why they didn't qualify this person who, who did the forensic analysis, why they didn't present him as a witness. I don't know. Maybe they ran out of time. They're trying to get it in as an exhibit. I really don't know, but it's going to be a, a whole nother issue for the judge. I think he wanted to potentially making a ruling on Friday, this coming Friday, but with all these filings, I don't see that happening. But what I can tell you, the lawyers, are the Trump lawyers, the co-defendants, listen, they, they earning their money, right? They are earning their money. You see, we learn as criminal defense lawyers especially those who are very experienced, very seasoned, been in the game. We know how to create a mess. Let me tell you something. As defense lawyers, we turn that sideshow into the main event. Like, that's just part of our job. We turn that molehill into a mountain. Right? That, that's part of our job. Any little small little thing that has a, a potential effect in the case, we're going to make some noise. And so what you're seeing here is the art of creating a hot mess, right? And I'm not going to give the defense lawyers too much credit because Fonnie Willis pretty much gave it to him on a silver platter. Let's keep it 100. And so what these lawyers are doing is saying, uh, here you go, Judge McAfee. Here go this record. Here go this relationship. Let's look at the timeline. We got phone records that support that Nathan was at the house well before November 1st, 2021. They had to been in a relationship before, right? They had to plan to get on this Trump case. This is how we're going to get paid. And, and, and we're going to enrich ourselves with the funds from Fannie Willis's office paying Nathan Wade's office or Nathan Wade himself. And then we're going to turn around and we're going to go on trips, trips to Miami, trips to California, right? I, not, who's paying for it? Nathan Wade's paying for it. And then Fannie Willis is paying for it. But oh, when Nathan Wade pays for Fannie Willis's tab, Fannie Willis pays back. But there's no records to prove that, right? Because Fonnie Willis says she's paying with cash, right? And so they, they're preserving the record. 
See, what you got to understand is defense lawyers, not only are we looking at the judge we're in front of, but we're preserving the record. Any event that we lose this case, I'm going to take this matter up and I got to make sure the record is airtight for my appeal. Right? And so, yeah, Judge McAfee, you can rule against us and you can rule in Fonnie Willis's favor, but you better believe we taking you up. And that's when it hit me. Because I've been, I, I, y'all, I've been starting to think more and more about this case the more I got interested in it. I said, hold up, wait a second. Judge McAfee seems to be even killed. I'm paying close attention to the questions he's asking. And there are several times in which I almost, if I had to read them, it's like, man, he's trying to say, man, is there more? I mean, you haven't really established financial gain on the part of Nathan Wade and Fonnie Willis. Every time he, the, the lawyers kind of get off target, he say, okay, back to proof of financial gain. I need proof about the financial gain. I need proof about the relationship. And so I really don't know the more and more initially when I was looking at this case and paying attention and I, I listened to Fonnie Willis's testimony initially, and I also listened to uh, Nathan Wade's testimony. I was like, I don't know if the defense lawyers have enough to prove this. And you know what? I don't even really think at this point it's just about what the judge, how the judge is going to rule. I think. If the judge rules in Fonnie Willis's favor, you better believe Trump's lawyers are going to appeal this case. And I think, you know, that's obviously going to delay all this. Whatever political aim that's going on, obviously there are political reasons behind this. I mean, let's not play dumb. But strategically, now you're going to delay. It take time to appeal cases, right? It just take time. And then now you get the defense lawyers an opportunity to put this case in front of another tribunal. What the higher court's going to say, right? All right. All right, Judge McAfee. It's all good. We understand. We understand you ain't want to rule in our favor. We get it. It's all good. We're going to holler at you. We're going to go ahead and take you up. We're going to take you up. And what the higher court's going to say, because guess what? You better believe they're going to go as high as they can until they get a favorable result. And, and you may say, oh, man, how high can this case go? Right? Man, you don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But one thing I do know, Trump, has the United States Supreme Court. I'm not going to say on lock, but I'll say he appointed three Supreme Court justices and his appointees, those appointees is the reason why Roe versus Wade got overturned. So just think about it. If this case for some odd way Went up on appeal. Let's say Judge McAfee ruled in Fannie Willis's favor. They appealed. The higher level, 
Say, ah, we agree with Judge McAfee. There was, Fonnie Willis don't need to be disqualified. They appeal again, right? I would think, again, I, I don't practice in Georgia. I don't want to say I practice in Georgia, but normally when you're talking about appeals, it's a three-level system before you can get to the Supreme Court of the United States, right? So let's just say all the judges, all the appellate courts say we're going to agree with Judge McAfee on the trial level and Fonnie Willis should not be disqualified. You don't think Trump's lawyers ain't going to take writs? Meaning you don't think they're not going to appeal to the highest court in the land? Since Ronald Reagan, Trump has appointed the most Supreme Court justices. Ronald Reagan had four, Trump appointed three. The three appointees joined in the majority opinion on overturning Roe versus Reagan. Those three were three appointees by Donald Trump. You better believe the defense lawyers for Trump and the co-defendants are willing to take it the distance. And it's going to be delay, 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 but it might be a successful delay. So it really made me think, if that's the case, even, even, because that's, I mean, that's realistic. Judge McAfee can rule in Fannie Willis's favor and they can present this in front of another tribunal. And what the defense lawyers are doing is they're creating a record. Let's be real. There's enough mess here to establish what needs to be established. I've learned, I don't know when I learned this. I think, I don't know if I was, I just got out of law school or I was still in law school. But I learned that a lot of times it's not whether you're right or wrong. It's about who's grading the paper, right? For so long as law students, there were times when we were, you know, still learning how to give an analysis. We were trying to be right. And a lot of times being right is just a matter of who's who's the judge, who's who's grading the paper, who's the audience, right? It's about giving your analysis. It's, it, it reminds me of one of my professors at SULC. It was Professor Getty. Professor Getty said, listen, when you take these finals, and, and let me explain this to you. We would take in every class we took, whether it was criminal law, criminal procedure, constitutional law, torts, we would take that class. The whole class would be, I don't know, it would take maybe about three or four months. And that would be the course. And we wouldn't take tests every week or every other week. We would take one test at the end of that semester. And it would be, we would call it the finals, the final exam. So imagine learning something, learning a whole subject matter, a whole course for about three to four months and you get one big test. And Professor Getty would be like, listen, now let me tell y'all something. When y'all done with taking the test, because we'll take a test in the morning, a test in the afternoon, and then we'll have like one more left. But we'll have like a small break in between. 
And those tests, man, it'll take you, depending on who you are, it can take you from two, three, four hours to write this exam, right? The max amount of time we got was four hours. Imagine writing an exam for four hours. And let me tell you something, your boy took every bit of them four hours. No notes, no nothing, just writing, 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 writing. But it was interesting because Professor Getty would say, look, when you done with your test, I know you got a little time. Do not get in these clicks with your friends and your colleagues talking about what you wrote on your test, what you, what you got, how you answered this question, how you answered that question, you know, what you saw, right? Because it'll be about issue spotting. We'll try to figure out what's the issue in the case. Did you see a second degree mur murder based on the fact pattern? Based on the hypothetical, did you see a first degree murder? Did you see a manslaughter, right? That would be the issue. And if one person say, man, I saw manslaughter and another person say, I saw self-defense. If you so caught up on who's right and who's wrong, you lost. It ain't even about who's right or, or who's wrong. It's about what type of analysis you gave. What did the law say? What facts supported your position? And a lot of times we didn't realize it wasn't about the answer. It was about the position, the analysis. And so a lot of times in court, it's not about just getting the right answer. It's do you have the facts to support your position? And so if you have Judge McAfee saying, I don't see it, defense lawyer said, all right, that's cool. All good. We're going to take you up. And we preserving a record because we won't find a judge or a tribunal, multiple judges say, yeah, I see it. It's right here. And there is enough mess to find something. Right. It reminds me, I was a judicial law clerk when I was in law school and after I was in law school. And the judge would tell me, listen, this is how I'm going to rule on this particular case. I want you to go and find the law to back me up. And that's perfectly legal. This is how I'm a rule, right? Now you need to go and find the law and find the facts in this particular case to support my position, right? So whether this person went left or right, it would be my job to find the law and take the facts that would support the position. And of course the judge will come in with that red pen and say, no, that ain't right, that ain't right, that ain't right. Put this, take this out, boom, boom, bam. Right, I remember coming back with like five pages. My judge put an X on all these pages. You need to condense this, add this, chunk this up, chop this up. Remember that law there? Go find that and put this in there, boom. And I'm gonna sign it when you get back. So what I'm saying is, you could have one judge that's why you got appellate judges. You got judges overturn lower court judges' decision because you got these judges saying, well, I think the judge looked at it wrong. I think the judge didn't consider these facts or didn't consider this law, so we're going to overturn this. And so I think we got enough material where you could get 10 lawyers in a room right now, you know, seasoned lawyers, been in the game for years, and say, look, these are all the facts that were established in this hearing, give us an analysis as to whether or not Fonnie Willis can be disqualified. And I promise you, you're not going to get all 10 lawyers with the same opinion. 
You're going to have some saying she should be disqualified. You're going to have some saying she should not be disqualified. And so imagine what a judge can do with that. So it occurred to me that, man, so even if Judge McAfee rules in finding Willis's favor, you better believe that Trump's lawyers and the co-defendants' lawyers are going to take Judge McAfee up. Right. And so now I'm like, man, there's so much this thing so messy. The lawyers have created a hot mess and they preserve this hot mess. And so I just kind of sat back and was like, man, what was the cost benefit analysis of this overall? Like who were in the room with Fanny and said, look, man, should we do this or should we not? Clearly a shoe or two going to drop, right? Like, should we, should we go forward with this? Can we get somebody else to take a look at this case? Can we get another prosecutor? Can we put up a Chinese wall where since Fannie Willis got her thing going on with, with Nathan Wade, like, can we just not have them involved in this case? Right? Because it's so messy. So you, even though you may have an argument that it don't have nothing to do with the case and whether or not Fonnie Willis should be disqualified, a mess has been created so much where it's like, man, somebody can make the argument. Some judge or two can look at it and say, no, I see a big problem with this. Right. Some cases do not get overturned on, you know, a lot of times credibility is, is left to the trial level judge where witnesses are presented in front of the judge. And when that thing is taken up, Higher courts say, look, listen, I wasn't on the trial level, so I couldn't evaluate the witnesses. I couldn't look at their demeanor. I can't decipher whether or not they're telling the truth. So we're going to defer to the lower court as it relates to credibility. But they have exceptions where, look, if the record is egregious, they could come in and say, oh, I don't know. This one right here, we might want to step in and say, I don't know if this person was being truthful. We don't know if that's not going to happen in this particular case, especially if that if the case land on the right judge's desk, the right appellate judge's desk, the right tribunal's desk. Let's not talk about the United States Supreme Court. Oh, man, uh, come on. You think that case would go that far? Man. Anything's possible. We talking about Trump. <laughs> Come on now. Come on. So I was like, why is Fonnie Willis and her team taking this risk? Right? Like, it's too messy. Take her out of it. Take Nathan out of it. Right? Take, take them out of it. Why all the mess? And so it, it made me start thinking, okay, wait a second. If Fonnie Willis can't be on the case, what does that mean for this case against Trump? Right? And I started, at first, initially, I was thinking about Louisiana. And I was like, okay, if, if in New Orleans, if the DA Jason Williams had to recuse himself from a case, you know, I'm thinking a case that I have, he had to recuse himself an attorney general stepped in and took over the case, right? So it made me do research under Georgia law and say, okay, 
if Fonnie Willis cannot prosecute Trump, then what happens? Basically, if Fonnie Willis has to recuse herself, it's not just Fonnie Willis, it's Fonnie Willis's entire office. So the, the whole district attorney's office of Fulton County has to get off the case, right? And so what does that mean? So who, who gets the case and who decides who gets the case? And so there's something called the director of the prosecuting attorney's counsel. And so in this particular situation, if Fannie Willis, let's say Fannie Willis recused herself from this case, or Judge McAfee gives a decision, he says, listen, based on the evidence, the testimony, I find that Fannie Willis must be removed from this case, which means her entire office has to get off the case. That means that the director of the prosecuting attorney council steps in and has to appoint a special prosecutor for this case. That person happens to be a Republican. That person can either take over the case himself or he can appoint a private attorney or he, he can let the attorney general's office take over the case. You, you better believe that's a lot of political involvement going on right there. So it occurred to me, oh, that's why Fonnie Willis never was able to get off this case, even in the midst of all this mess. It's either Fonnie Willis or nothing. It's either Fonnie Willis or bus. There is nowhere else to turn. You relinquish yourself and let the special prosecutor come in or the director to appoint a special prosecutor come in. It's out of your hands and you don't know what could happen. That thing could, could vanish. Gone. Case gone. You already know how this thing goes. They appoint a special prosecutor or even the attorney general's office. Based on a thorough assessment of the evidence or the lack thereof, we find that there's not sufficient enough evidence to prosecute any of the defendants in this case. So we have elected to decline to prosecute Mr. Trump and all the co-defendants in this matter. It is all or nothing Fonnie Willis. So we got to take all this baggage with us and say, look, we got to fight this to the end. And so that's why it's like, uh, ain't no way around this. You just got to embrace these ugly facts. That's what it is. Ugly facts. Because the, the defense lawyers, they have created muck. <laughs> and they have been meticulous in preserving the record. It reminds me of this HBO crime series called The Undoing. Hugh Grant is the actor in this show in Nicole Kidman, right? So Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman are married. He steps out and starts dating this younger woman. And um, the younger woman is found dead. I don't want to spoil it for you, but she's found dead. And he's on trial for the murder of this young woman, right? And there's this criminal defense lawyer by the name of Noma Duanzini. She's a South African, British, black woman, and she's nice, right? 
she's hired as the second attorney because the first defense attorney is not doing good enough. And so she's talking to the wife of the guy played by Nicole Kidman. And she says, my job as the criminal defense lawyer is to create muck in the government's prosecution of the case. Create muck. Ladies and gentlemen, you have witnessed the defense lawyers create muck in Fannie Willis's case against Trump and the co-defendants. And I cannot give the defense lawyers all the credit because Fannie Willis and her relationship with Nathan Brown pretty much gave it to the defense lawyers on a silver platter. And I think there is enough there to delay this matter, regardless of the judge's decision. I think, as I stated, it'll go to a higher court. Whatever strategy behind all this, I got reason to believe that it may be thwarted as a result of the mess that was created. But we we gonna see what's gonna happen. There's a hearing that's scheduled for, I believe, this coming Friday. I think with the new developments, with the phone dump and everything else, it may be prolonged even more. This thing, it's explosive. I'm telling you, man. Atlanta got a whole lot going on, man. And I, and listen, I'm don't I'm I'm going right back to the Young Thug trial. I ain't forget about it. I told you we gonna talk about what's popping. So it just so happened in the same city. You dig? Same city, ATL, man. They, they bringing it. It's on and popping in the, in the ATL. But anyway, man, that's my time. You know, I enjoyed this time with y'all, man. I hope y'all tune in to the next episode. Talk to y'all later. One. Call your first witness. I got Kenneth Willis. K Will. He bought his business. He gonna take it the distance. Listen, he giving gaming. Believe in high level represent. Call your first witness. Uh. K Will. Yeah, call your first witness. Griff has been paid for this endorsement.